Our first reading is from Colossians chapter 3. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the second chapter. Glory to you, Lord. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. O Savior, rend the heavens wide. Come down, come down with mighty stride. Unlock the gates, the doors break down. Unbar the way to heaven's crown. Amen. There are several themes throughout the Advent and Christmas seasons. You could probably name several of them without even having to think all that hard. Hope, joy, goodwill, thankfulness. There is another theme that is clearly there in the first Christmas that may not get picked up as much anymore these days, and that would be the theme of revolution. Last week, Pastor Walther talked about being born at a time and a place and how that inevitably shapes us as we grow up. It becomes part of our identity. And that is because we grow up not in general, but in particular places at a particular time. And so part of the way we think is shaped in reaction to what is going on where and when we live. And one of the features of our birth is that we don't get to choose that place and time. We have no say in where we are born. And because of that, maybe, or because of a variety of reasons, as we grow up, we become unsatisfied with some of the details about the places and the time around us. We would like them to change. Simeon did not pick the place he was born That he was not completely satisfied with his situation is brought out by the fact that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. People who are completely fine, completely happy with life, they don't hope for consolation. And if she were asked, I doubt Anna would have chosen a life of widowhood. She too was looking for a change. She speaks about redemption. Now, these are just two. We could have picked out many of the different characters in the scriptures. And they lived where and when they lived at God's choice, not their own. And they are called, as we are all called, to live faithfully in their times and places. And yet at the same time, we see that Christians of all times and places are saddened and angered when they recognize that things are not as they should be. And so they want, we should want, change. And change, even revolutionary change, is in the air around Jesus' birth. We heard Simeon say today about Jesus that he is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Last week, we heard Mary, maiden mild, Nevertheless, sing in the Magnificat that God would scatter the proud. He would pull down the mighty from their thrones. The angel Gabriel had previously told her that this child would be given the throne, his father David. Now, when you hear that kind of thing, or maybe now that we have pulled out those particular verses for you to consider, you see that these are not exactly talking about the nice themes that we mentioned earlier. This is not about joy and goodwill, kinds of things that we usually think of this time of year. But that kind of talk is nothing short of talk about revolution. 
what they were asking for, or at least what they were prophesying about the Christ child, is that the world would be turned over. Later on in the gospel, both John and Jesus will announce that the kingdom is at hand. And this is exactly the kind of thing that gets Jesus in trouble. Other rulers, obviously they have different sensibilities than us, they pick up on this scent immediately. And so Herod will dispatch soldiers to kill the babies in Bethlehem because of this. Later on, a different Herod and Pontius Pilate, not to mention the Jewish leaders, they're talking exactly about this. Does Jesus say that he is the Christ and isn't the Christ a king? Famously written on the sign posted to his cross was this title, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And they put that there because that was the charge against him. And we hear that way we think, well, maybe they were overdoing it. Maybe they misinterpreted what is going on. And we think, well, hold on, Pilate asked Jesus if he were a king, and Jesus replied, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not of this world. And we hear that, and because we want to get Jesus off the hook, we say, see, he's not talking about revolution. Otherwise, he says that they would fight. That's not how Pilate heard it. The question posed was whether or not Jesus was the king of the Jews, whether he was a king, and Jesus' response began with the words, my kingdom. And so Pilate follows up, are you a king then? And Jesus answers, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Jesus refuses to deny Christhood refuses to deny that he is a king. And with that, his fate is sealed. Now, outside of this context, of course we will call Jesus a king. And I, I'm not sure what we often think about when we say that. What it actually means is that Jesus is in charge, that everyone answers to him that he is the one who makes the decisions. And that is the very thing that the other rulers, that other kings know and that we may forget. Jesus' claim that his kingdom is not of this world is not meant to minimize the title of king that is hung around him. Jesus is not telling Pilate that he has nothing to worry about because Jesus is not really that kind of king. Jesus is not here minimizing. He's not trying to get out of it. Actually, what Jesus says amplifies the title of king. No, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' claim is that his kingship is from heaven, that he is a divine king. Jesus isn't claiming to be insignificant, but more significant than Pilate or any other ruler or king or Caesar. And the unbelieving world can't have that, that kind of claim, that God is overall, that God is in charge, that can't be allowed to stand. So Jesus is put to death. And the world says, that's that, isn't it? And as Christians, we say, 
Obviously not, because our, our faith is built around the fact that God overruled the world's condemnation of Jesus. That the Father raises his son to life again. He vetoes the sentence of death, and he raises him to be Lord and King. That is revolution as the world sees it. For the Herods and Pilots and Caesars and Presidents not to have the final say, to not actually be in charge, but rather to have to acknowledge a higher authority that is lowering the proud and the mighty. It is bringing up those of low esteem, even those who are dead, bringing them up literally from the grave to stand up against the world. The gospel is, always has been, always will be a revolutionary message. Remember that one of the prophecies of hope for the people of God is the cry, Babylon has fallen, that the corrupt kingdoms of this world will fall, that the true king is in charge and that he is coming, that his enemies are even now being laid at his feet. And that is a lifeline to us in our particular times and our particular places. You see in the gospel reading today that Simeon's lifeline is Jesus and the consolation that he found there. Likewise, Anna, with the redemption found in the Redeemer. Undoubtedly, many of the details of their lives were sad and even heartbreaking, just as many of the details of our own lives are, with grief and hardship and death. But our lifeline, like theirs, is none other than Jesus Christ, the King, coming to upset the world and its ways of working. Amen.